Joshua chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit tonight or this morning about something that might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people or as men we like to deny that this even is about us. But this was uh, a recording of a historical fact that happened after uh, Moses had passed away and it's regarding a man, a young man at this point in time who, um, who really faced some issues of insecurity. Uh, you talk to men, men don't like to deal with it. Most men act like they don't, aren't insecure. I think men are more insecure than women. We just act a little bit different. But most of the time, <laughs> the guys are more screwed up than the girls, right? It's the truth. I know because I'm one. Wives, you know what I'm talking about, right? We act like uh, we have everything under control, and, you know, but you put us under pressure and we fall apart. Ever see a guy cry? It's an interesting situation. They try to not to do it, but it's supposed to happen naturally, and we fight against it. I mean, there are things that happen to us all the time, but this issue of insecurity. I had taken the Shabbat school director out for a date recently, our Shabbat school director. We've been on like 35 years of dates. And uh, we were walking, we went to the fair, and when you're in a, for me personally, I'm not a people person. Like when you're in crowds of people, I would rather not be in a crowd of people. I have a kind of a phobia regarding it. So when you put me in crowds of people, I kind of like go the other way. Well, my wife, she loves crowds of people. If you know Peggy, she's like the people person. She gets in the middle of people. She talks to people. And I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to figure out, well, I don't say that. Oh, my God. You know, inside I'm going through all these insecurities. And she's out there just, you know, talking to people and grabbing them and touching people. Touch, put her hands on people. Ah, I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You know? But when we get into these crowds of people, I was just thinking about this the other day. What was so fantastic is that when we get into these crowds of people, she grabs me. And she puts her arm around me. And she starts touching me and massaging my back and working because she knows I'm dying. But the closeness that we have in the midst of a very insecure situation really gives me strength. It's really interesting. I never really thought about it until we were walking through the fair and we're going through all this stuff. And then I'm like, I don't want to be there. And she goes, come on. And we go. And then she just grabs me. And we're walking through the middle of people. And it's this connection that we have as friends, right, that makes us more mature in a situation. It's interesting when two, couple, when two people come together in marriage, they grow together, right? It doesn't say they both are one immediately. We become one from life into death. And so I watch this happening in my own life every day. And I really, really thought today that we could talk about these two friends, maturity and security, how they walk hand in hand throughout life. As believers... We go through insecurities every single day, don't we? If you say, listen, it's not insecurity is bad, it's if we let insecurity run our lives. If we make our decisions through insecurity. If we're secure and trusting in the Lord and making our decisions, it's okay to be scared. That's what my oldest used to say, Daddy, Papa, I'm scared. It's the truth. Because, listen, life brings horrible, scary situations every day. I mean, just thinking about it and what you go through each moment, 
and we try to not think about. But what we really deal with every day in situations that are uncomfortable, we can act like we've got it all together. We can, you know, fake it the best we can. But the truth is, it's there. It's like the elephant in the room. So let's go through Joshua, and I want to talk about him a little bit. And I really love Joshua. I think he is kind of a guy I can really relate to, and I hope you can. So look down at your Bibles in Joshua chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, Now... It came after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Pause. No more trusting in the guy that you used to walk with and trust in. Now you're on your own. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I have spoke to Moses. Just a little point there. It doesn't say occupy, does it? From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. Statement of fact. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. To come upon your word in a special way and teach us things today that would meet us where we're at and our needs. We commit it to you. Thank you for what you're going to do in our Messiah Yeshua's name. Amen. So the bridge from the Torah into the historical books into the prophets is the book of Joshua. Depending on what his commentary or group you want to hang with is regarding what time this is written, but I don't think that really matters at this point this morning because what's really important is that this is a man who was born into adversity. Just because we open up the book of Joshua and we go, oh, here he is, he's being commanded by the Lord to go into the land and take the land, and oh, it's so great. No, but we have to take a step back and understand a certain point that Joshua, number one, learned the principles of maturity, Those principles of maturity are learned in life. When we grow up, it doesn't happen overnight. And you can be knowing the Lord for 60 years and be very immature. You can be a believer for two years and be very mature. It depends on how you apply the word of God in your life. Do you read it? Do you listen to what it says? Do you apply it in your own life? Is it something that shines a light on your insecurities and the things that you do wrong in life and that you repent from them, that you change? It's not a bad word. It just means that you're willing to change and listen to what he said. And listen, We have to will, be willing to say that we make mistakes, right? But the most important thing I think about Joshua is he was born into adversity. How do we know that? Well, it says he was the son of noon, and we also know that he was firstborn. So if you know what happened to Moses, they put him in the little boat and shipped him out on the river, the river Nile, right, so he wouldn't get killed. What was the command by Pharaoh that all firstborn should be killed? 
So Joshua was the firstborn baby, so we know he was born right into adversity immediately. According to some of the rabbinical writings, he also was shipped out on a little baby ark across the Nile River and taken in. But that's just tradition. But he was born into adversity, just like each one of us are. We come into the world, and it's not so rosy. We all have problems, family problems. Some of us might not have a mother or a father. We might have known our fathers, maybe even our extended families. Some of us may have been born into adversity a lot worse than others, but we've all been born into adversity, and Joshua was born into adversity. He walked through the streets in Egypt watching the pressures and the, and the persecution on his people, on our people Israel in there. Remember, they came into Egypt as a family. And as the, they grew and grew and grew and got bigger, then they became a nation as they exited, right? So now you're talking about family problems, not only from without of Egypt and the Egyptians, but inside. He learned how to deal with those things over time. He learned how to trust in the Lord. He walked with Moses. He learned the principles. Number one principle that he learned was there is a reality of warfare in life. A lot of times when we have our evangelical outreaches and we ask everybody, do you want to receive Yeshua? And people's lives are really messed up or they just want to have salvation and they want to have security. What's the first thing they do is raise their hand, but they don't know that. Just after that point, some kind of warfare will start. Any of you experience that? The people that you love so desperately, one day, the next day, you look at them and you just can't stand the things that they're saying. Do you ever experience that? It's like, why are they saying that? I just want to, you know, I can't stand it. It's warfare. Look at Exodus chapter 17. Verse 8 says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek tomorrow. I will station myself on top the mountain of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him. First mention of Joshua. And he fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. Verse 13 says, So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek, and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, I like this, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Isn't that an interesting little side note? A first mention of Joshua comes in after this incredible war, and you don't can imagine there was some fear going on because Amalek was this huge, incredible, really demonic war, you know? This, these soldiers that were huge, they carried these huge swords. And it says, write this down so that Joshua can reread it, and you can recite it to Joshua, so that you can tell him that in the future, you still have power. It's going to be okay. When you see something happen in your life, 
and you see the power of God happen in your life in warfare, remember, that's not the end. Those things happen so we can see in the future that we can trust him, that he'll fight our battles for us no matter what. Ephesians chapter 6. This rabbi in the first century who was coming against incredible warfare, not only from the Greek culture, from the Roman culture, but also from our own people, he's writing in this town of Ephesus where he went into start a congregation. He started in the synagogue. This was the town that had the largest temple to the pagan gods, the temple Artemis, which the temple Diana was. You might call it the beginning of prostitution of that day. Incredible nasty things happened in this town. And he goes into this, and he's in, he's, he's writing to these believers in Ephesus from prison, and he writes them this letter, and he says, for our struggle is not against literally blood and flesh in the original language. But literally our struggle is against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. So what Paul is saying here is that your struggles in the body of Mashiach are not against human beings. Your arguments, your disagreements in and outside of the body here is not a humanistic struggle. It's a spiritual battle. And there are spiritual forces of which he's listing here in the original language that are about that we can't see. These spiritual forces are working behind the scenes of what we can't see to get us to divide and conquer us. To, to fight with one another. So if you ever wonder if you have a battle between believers, it's not a physical thing. There are forces that we can't see, according to what this rabbi is telling us right here, that are at work to try to get us to hate one another. If you don't think that's happening right now in the world, whoa, boy. This one shot down this drone, and this one shot down this drone, and this is going on over here, and that's going on over there, right? And the rage, you ever feel the rage inside of you? It's like, ugh! Conquer and divide. Conquer and divide. It's a setup. Now, listen, I'm not getting political or military. I'm not talking about all that. So I'm telling you that behind the scenes, there's forces that want to get you and I to hate one another. And the bottom line is, we learn principles of maturity by humbling ourselves and loving one another. So the first principle that he learned was there was a reality of warfare. Number two, there was a response in the worship of the Lord. When you're growing up, when we're becoming mature believers, our response should always be a worship of the Lord. Look at Exodus 24. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to the mountain, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the Torah and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Now listen to this. So Moses arose with who? Joshua, his servant. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. Now look at Exodus 33.11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. 
When Moses returned to the camp, I just love this. He says, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Isn't that interesting? Joshua would stay back and hang out and worship and sit at the Lord's feet and just listen. Be quiet. And this is the principle that I thought about here. You learn more from watching people do what's wrong than do what's right. You know that. If you do, if you see somebody doing something wrong, don't engage on what they're doing and say, oh, they did it, so I might as well go ahead and do it. Learn something. We all make crazy things. We do. But don't, just because they're a believer and they're doing something wrong, I'm going to do that too. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. If we hang around with bad stuff and do what bad things happen, we're going to get bad. So what we want to do is learn from the mistakes of others. I'm not saying that Moses was making all kinds of mistakes, but we know what he did, right? He took the Torah and went and broke it. Why? Because there was all kinds of stuff going on down around the golden calf. It wasn't all peaches and cream, you might say, right? But you have to understand the first principle that there is war and the second principle that there is worship involved in maturity. It's going to happen no matter what. Bad stuff's going to happen. But we need to understand that worship is a principle that we grow by. Number three, no matter what happens in life, there's a requirement to trust in the Lord. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what's happening around us, no matter who's saying what, no matter what, no matter what you see with your eyes on that little box that screams and yells with those talking heads every day at us, <laughs> the requirement is that we trust in the Lord. We don't let our hearts fail us. We don't worry about what's going on. Remember, the Lord is in control. He's in control of every single thing. He does what he wants. He does it when he wants. He does it how he wants. And he doesn't ask us for our opinion on how to do it. That's the best thing in the whole world. We don't have to worry about it. He's in control. Now, things might look crazy, but this is the most important thing. He's in control, and we have to trust him. Numbers 14, verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Why? They were told to go in and spy out the land. Twelve spies. They were told to go and take the land to possess it. They all came back. You ever see the picture of Joshua and Caleb carrying the huge grapes? You know, you ever seen the depiction of who they are? They're carrying back the land, saying, this is what we've got, grapes. The other ten spies came back and gave a negative report. Yeah, God told us, but you don't understand. They are huge giants in the land. Can you imagine these giants? Some say they were demonic beings. But they had swords that were over nine foot. Can you imagine that? Nine foot? Standing, looking through the bushes, spying out the place that God told you is going to be all your land. And you look, and there's these huge giants with these huge shimmering swords doing all kinds of wickedness. Scared him to death. Don't believe what you see a lot of times. Believe what you're told. 
So they go into the land. They come back. Now the negative report comes, and Joshua and Caleb are renting their garments. He said, and they spoke, verse 7, to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they said, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. That means there's lots of provision. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of this land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It's so easy to look around us and look at what's going on and see who's got bigger aircraft carriers and more warships and bigger airplanes, right? doesn't matter. If we have the Lord, He is working in front of us to take care of our enemies, Verse 30, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. The Lord says, ah, there's a problem going on. Because you rebel, this is going to be the penalty. It says in verse 38, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Numbers 26, 65 says, For the Lord had said to them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. I want you to just think about something. We know that there was um, over a million people in the wilderness journey. A million human beings entering in. And in this text it says that the Lord said, that those who were 20 years old and older, Numbers 32, 11, and 2 for your reference, those who are, 30, who are 20 years and older will all die in the wilderness. So let's just say that out of the men and women and the young men and the young women that were 20 and older, which was over some million people, they all died in a 40-year journey. Think about how many funerals every day that was as a foreboding reminder to trust in the Lord that's a pretty impactful statement that we kind of look past but the wilderness journey was a training ground and they paid a big price for disobedience for rebellion except Joshua and Caleb who went in and those that were with him who were older who were above the age of accountability they go into the land and now this is Joshua being commanded they're not going in but you're going in because he trusted in what the Lord said. It's not difficult. It's the most simple thing to do, but it's the most difficult thing to do, isn't it, when times are tough? It's simple because all it is is all I have to do is lean on him. I have to exhale, you might say. I have to just give up all my insecurities and just say, yeah, you said it. It's okay. But when the hot, per hot winds of persecution are blowing on your faith ship, right, <laughs> isn't it difficult? You just want to... Uh, really? Did you really mean what you said? How long? This is my favorite when I tell myself in my self-talk. Cliff, how long do you think that's really going to be? It's okay if I have to suffer this much, right? But what if it's like five years? <laughs> what if it's ten years? Are you willing to trust him no matter what? Interesting principle. Number four. 
in Joshua's training ground in maturity, now remember, before he entered into the land, there was a reliance in the word of the Lord. One of the things I love about Rabbi Larry is he constantly is putting us under the most incredible Jewish guilt (laughs) to read and study and pray. (laughs) Why do you think that is? The most important thing that we have before us is the word, the Torah, the Tanakh, and the Brit Hadashah. It is the Lord's word, his promises, his provisions, that if we do, if we trust in what he says, everything will be okay in the end. That doesn't mean this is a message that, you know, you're not going to suffer. It just means that as we go through this maturing process, we have somebody that we can believe in and trust in, his word. Look down at your Bibles or up on the screen, Deuteronomy 1. Verse 37, he said, The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, not even, your, you, not even you shall enter there, speaking to Moses. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Deuteronomy chapter 3, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these kings. So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you're about to cross. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go across at the head of this people, and he will give them as an inheritance the land which you shall see. Deuteronomy 21-23. Then he commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. You know when you read the word? You can read any single book, and the author isn't present. It's the truth. You can read any book, in any library, and the author isn't present. But this, when you read it, the author is present. He doesn't only say, listen to what I'm telling you, listen to what you're reading. He says, but I'm going to be with you when you're doing that. Don't you love that? I think that's the most incredible thing. We take it for granted to get up in the morning. We might read our scriptures or go throughout the day. But the bottom line is, do you really realize that the Lord is with you when you're reading and studying his word? He's there. He's here. In our midst. I better not say anything wrong, right? It's the best thing in the whole world. You can trust him. I don't care what's happening. Whatever insecurities you're having, whatever doubts you might have in life, whatever it is, read and study his word and trust him. You might not know how the outcome's going to come. You might not know what's going to happen, but you can trust the Lord. So the four principles that Joshua learned before entering into the land. Now, let's look at number two. Not only principles, but the promises of God are to be trusted. 
What are promises? Things that are told you that are going to come to pass. The promises of God can be trusted. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 1, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son, or the, the son of Nun, Moses, servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Why would he say that? Well, Moses is dead. Moses, who you walked with for all these years, who you saw the most incredible miracles happen, who you were sitting in the tent of meeting next to, watching the most incredible things, where he was speaking to God face to face. Now that man is not any longer around. It's going to be you on your own with me. You know, you don't need a majority to walk with the Lord, it's just you and the Lord. You can trust him. And listen, if you feel on your own, I know it could be lonely sometimes out here. Especially when you do, if you want to do what's right in the word of God, you're not going to have many friends. You know that. It's not easy. You know, it's easy just to run around and do bad stuff because everybody's your friend. But when you want to stand for what's right, number one, believing that Yeshua is the Messiah. I mean, taking that into a Jewish context, into a Jewish world, then you'll find out how lonely it gets. (laughs) It's not easy. Yeshua told us it was going to happen, that these things were going to come to pass. If we followed him, these things were going to happen. But we're not alone. He said he'll be with you and in you. That's pretty good. Moses, my servant, is dead. You don't need to trust him anymore. Now I'm going to be with you. Now our relationship is going to carry you through. My servant is dead. Cross over the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Not to occupy Don't you hear that today? Occupiers. No, he said, every place that I have given to you as an inheritance, as a possession, is yours. Well, how far is it? From the wilderness of this Lebanon, from the north, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. What river is the river Euphrates? That's the Nile River. It's not just this little tiny sliver today that we call Israel. I wish we could apply this right now. It would be pretty crazy. Imagine all that. Go to the river Euphrates, Oh, especially today. This is our land. (laughs) All the land of the Hittites. And as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. Statement of fact. That's going to happen one day. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Now, do you think that Joshua and all those who were going to enter into the land were scared? Absolutely. It's okay. Did that stop them from going into the land? No, they had to go in. They went to the Jordan River. The most interesting thing happened. The Jordan River didn't just open up like the, the sea and the Red Sea did for the whole nation when it came out of Egypt. Do you know what happened? 
What, what did Moses do? He touched the Jordan River, right? But what, ha- what did Joshua have to do? Joshua had to go to the river and enter into the river before it opened up. Just read it. It's an interesting little tidbit. See, faith is an action. You got to walk. You got to do it as it comes to pass. So as the in the issue of insecurities and doubts and fears, if you just stay there and say, Lord, 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 take this away, take this away. No. <laughs> you have to act on it. You have to trust in it. That's why he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I think I've told you this before, but it's really an interesting parallel with the staff, where the shepherd would have a staff. Why did he have a staff? To scoop those sheep out from the dangers that they fell into the ditches, to tap them, to guide them, to train them. And then if they got really nasty and they got really rebellious, he would have to take that staff and break the leg of that sheep. And then he'd throw the sheep up on their shoulders and he'd carry the sheep all around until the sheep healed up. Then he'd put the sheep back down and tend the sheep back. That's a pretty heavy story. (laughs) But that staff represented authority. But it also represented rest. When you walk a long, long way, the best thing that can happen is that you lean on a staff, right? And it takes the weight off your lower back for all of those who are going on the hike tomorrow, right? You have those little sticks I saw in the picture, you know, the walking sticks, right? But then when you get to a stop, what do you do? You put those sticks in the ground and you just kind of lean on them. There's rest for your soul, he said. The whole picture is about trusting and resting in the Lord. The promises of God are to be rested on, to be trusted. It's going to be okay. Might not look like it. It's going to be okay. I remember 25, seven years ago, we had nothing. Peggy and I, no children's just came to know the lord and nothing and we were waiting tables at this hotel down in Murrieta, california which had been now bought by a large christian organization and we our rent was due it was like nine hundred dollars now we had 34 remember the sparklets bottles I'm, I'm dating myself, okay. Sparklets bottles, for you who don't know, were these bottles that they filled water up in, and they delivered them to your house, and they were made of glass. They were about 80 pounds, right? <laughs> so what we would do is every time we got some change, we would dump it in the sparklets bottle. Anybody do that? We had no money. And we had, on this certain Thanksgiving, emptied out our sparklets bottle, and there was $34.19 in there. And our rent was due. Everything was at a standstill. I never waited a table in my life, so you can imagine me trying to wait tables. On a Sunday morning, no one took the Sunday morning shift, so I took the Sunday morning shift, and I'm like, you know, spilling eggs on people's backs, and the wedding parties are freaking. I mean, it was just horrible. I had nothing. No one tipped me. I tell you this because we were young, we knew nothing. Only thing we knew is we trusted the Lord. We, it didn't matter. We read something, we go, okay, God said that was, it was going to be okay. And it was okay. So first we got peace. 
And then one day, we get this check in the mail. It's for $901. Anonymous, cashier's check. Now, no one knew. I know you might say, well, ah, no, it's, it's unbelievable. These little principles of how we grew up, because we were flailing all over the place. We didn't know what to do. I mean, we had nothing. It was so incredible to see how God provides. God will meet your needs. I don't care what it is if you trust him. Sometimes he takes away the houses and all the excess stuff that we gain. <sighs> yeah. But still gives us peace. It's okay. Trust him. The promises of God are to be trusted. Number three. The presence of the Lord brings security and strength. Verse 5, Joshua says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. The word fail in the Hebrew is rafah. It's an issue of security. It means to drop you. You know, holding your baby up over the balcony. <laughs> Who would ever do that, right? A long ways down. You ever feel that insecurity about, I don't want to fall. He said he will never, Rafa, he'll never drop you. He'll never let you go. And then he also said, I'll never forsake you. Atzab. It means the word to abandon. A lot of people who don't have parents or who have been left behind have abandoned issues. They, they don't know how to trust. Why? Well, I never had a father figure. I never had anybody that would help me to grow up. I feel abandoned. You never have to feel abandoned. Why? Rafa and Atzab. He'll never fail you. Those are statement of facts. He'll never, ever, ever abandon you. That's good. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? Why? Because he said so. God cannot lie. He will do what he said he'll do, no matter what. We just need to trust him. Verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous and do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to remind you, this is a young man now up into his mid, maybe 40s, 50s, who had been walking with Moses, who had seen all kinds of stuff happen in Egypt. Now he's going 40 years in the wilderness, watching some crazy things happen. Over a million people die, watching the miracles of God and also his own people falling apart all over the place. Then he's commanded to go into the land. He goes into the land. And now he's telling Joshua, Joshua, I won't leave you. See, I don't care how mature you are. You need to be encouraged. I don't care how immature you are. We need to be encouraged. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Rabbi Shaul said in 2 Timothy, to his young son in the faith, let me give you a little context with this one. They're going into these incredibly pagan cities where there's incredible pagan worship system going on. Really, really bad stuff happening all over the place. And these guys are getting beaten to a pulp for sharing the Messiah. 
They're being strung out on poles and their backs are being beaten wide open to where their organs would stick out. Horrible stuff. They call it flogging. Why? Because of the Messiah. And now Paul is encouraging his young son, who he's going to put in charge of this whole area, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound, disciplined mind, he said. What you've been given, no matter how secure or insecure you are, is the presence and the power of the Ruach HaKodesh in your life, inside of you. He lives in you when you have received the Messiah. So as we grow up, we have the ability to experience the power and the presence of God in us, to be trusted on. That's good stuff. That means you're not alone. That means you never have to worry about doing this whole thing on your own. (laughs) You'll always have that. And his presence will never fail you. And he will never neglect you. Look at number four. There's a pattern of obedience, which is a necessity. What's the pattern? Verse seven. Be strong and, he said, not just courageous, but have super courage. Be careful, mindful, thoughtfully, one instance at a time. Don't move ahead too fast or too quickly to do according to all that the Torah, the teachings which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from either side of them. Stay focused. There's a task in front of each one of us. Number one, Be strong and courageous. What does that mean? Just have courage. You remember the lion in Wizard of Oz? (laughs) I watched that the other day because I was thinking about courage. If I was the king of the forest, you know? I'm like watching this thinking, what a crazy movie, but it's so true. These are things we we gotta really think about for a second. We gotta walk in courage It's not our own either, it's his. We just have to walk in him. Number one, having courage. Number two, being submissive. He says, be careful to do according to all. Be careful means submit yourself to what he said to do. Have humility. Ah, the thing that's not so easy. Have humility. Number three, be separated from worldly, worldly opinion and wisdom. He said, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Now, if we have something that we need direction on, it's not a good idea to go to a person who doesn't use biblical understanding to help you with your problem. You hear what I say? I mean, we, it's good to go to many counselors, but the counselors that we should go to should have biblical wisdom. I think I could leave that where it's at. Because too many times we try to go to the world for answers when we have all the answers right here. A person came to me one time, wanted marriage counseling. I gave them marriage counseling. You're going to do it? Absolutely. The next week they're with another person trying to get other counsel. The next week, they're going to another person trying to get another counsel. The next week, they're with another person trying to get another counsel. 
Everybody's got the same counsel. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to do it. Then they go to a worldly counselor. Worldly counselor says, oh, I'd get divorced. (laughs) Psalm 1. How blessed is the man, oh, how happy, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does the word walk mean? Halaha. It means your actions. Don't do what they say. Nor stand in the path of sinners. An issue of authority. Don't look at sinful people like they have all the right answers. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You know what scoffers are? (laughs) That ain't the truth. What do you mean that's the truth? What are you talking about? Yeah, that Yeshua thing. Yeah, you're all caught up in a cult. Or what's the new thing that you're into now? Right? Scoffers. He said, don't sit with them. That means you can separate. It's good to say no to some people in your life. You know, toxic people have a way of making you toxic. So be strong and be courageous. It's okay to say no. If someone's toxic in your life and... You know, they're toxic enough to try to take you down and don't want to change. It's okay just to say, uh-uh. It's, it takes courage. It takes strength. But just say, no. It's okay. Bye-bye. You can come back when you get it together, but not right now. He says, the person who doesn't walk, stand, or sit will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. You know, the roots just sucking out from that river which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. You don't get burned out on spiritual things. People say, I get burned out. As believers, people get... Now, I'm not talking about being tired. I'm talking about people being burned out spiritually. That's not a concept that I've ever seen. Being burned out spiritually means that you're not planted by the rivers of living water. The counsel's coming from ungodly sources. What you're studying, reading might not be the Bible. It might be self-help books. Uh Uh-oh. Just be careful. And he said, number D, being successful. This isn't talking about finances. He said, that you'll be successful wherever you go. It's not talking about being rich. not talking about having tons of money. Money's could be the worst problem you could ever have in your life. I wish I could have that problem. But the money could be the worst problem you could <laughs> You know what I mean? He's talking about being fruitful, bearing fruit, helping others, having peace, having joy. Good stuff. Now, let's look at the last principle. The priority of God's word for everything in your life. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Three things. Number one, in what and how we speak. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can always tell what somebody's feeding on by what they're talking about. It's not a word of faith or word faith gospel thing. But you can always tell if somebody's reading and studying the Bible because what they talk about is biblical things. Number two, and how we think. As a man thinketh in his heart, 
So is he. Thinking is what comes out of the heart. It says, in what and how we think, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You know what that word means? Probably already studied this a hundred times. I'll bring it up again. It's talking about a cow with multi-stomachs, and what they do is they eat their grass, and then that stomach regurgitates it up, and they chew it again. And then they swallow it down, and it goes to the next one, and then they chew it again. And that's how the digestion process takes place with the cow. Well, it's the same process when we study and read the Word of God that he said that we should meditate on it day and night. Chew it like cud, like a cow. Swallow it down. Think about it. Do your devotion in the morning, but as you're going on the freeway when someone cuts you off, remember about the word that you just read. (laughs) When you're in traffic, it's not so easy to do that. But this is what the process of maturity is, that you would read it, study it, chew it, Think about what he said. Experience it as you're out in public every day. And when someone comes and engages with you and you're thinking about what you read, that's the process of living out the word in your life. It's kind of, you don't really realize it, but as you start to do this, it becomes a normal behavior. It's called maturity. And number C, and how we would walk. So that you would be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Today, in modern-day Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, the issue of halacha, how to keep Torah, is preeminent. According to the Talmud and the writings and the oral traditions and how we build a hedge, not we, they build a hedge about the Torah and how to keep it. Well, this principle of applying God's word, Torah, didn't just start here in modern-day Judaism. And it wasn't about the hedge that's built up about the Torah. It's about the specific principles that were talked and taught in teachings in Torah. How to walk. Now this rabbi, Paul, in the first century, he's talking to those in Ephesus again. And he says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord to the Jewish believers in Ephesus. That you walk no longer just as the goyim also walk. So there was a way that the Gentiles walked in the first century. They call that the peripatetic schools. They were Greek schools that taught Greek people how to apply Greek philosophy in their life. Now this rabbi, who's an expert on Torah, is using Jewish principles to teach Jewish people in the first century in one of the most pagan atmospheres, how to apply Torah in your life. And he says that you should no longer walk as the goyim, those Gentiles in their peripatetic schools. Your messianic halaha, for lack of a better word, is to do this. Because this is how they are. They're futile in their minds. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded for the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, it says. The Greek word is porosis. It's an interesting word, but it means being scarred to the point of feeling. One of the things that the Greeks would do is cut. They do it today, the kids today. There are a lot of kids involved with it have big, heavy insecurity problems and they start cutting. And what it is, is you take a little tiny cut sometimes a dull knife, and you cut on your skin. 
It hurts a little bit, but you don't do it too deep, but you do it over and over and over and over and over, and then it grows back, and you do it over and over and over until you don't feel it anymore. Porosis. Calloused. By doing ungodly and wicked and sinful things over and over and over and over and over again, you can become porosis, hardened. And Paul says, don't do that like the Gentiles are doing. You're free in Messiah. This whole principle that you're living by, now you can live freely by following Messiah. But don't do what those Gentiles do by falling victim to their sinful behaviors. Oh boy, don't we need that today in the United States of America. When everything in front of you is have fun and have a great time and there's no accountability in your life, boy, we don't want to fall victim to that lie. We need to be separated and different from that. He said, becoming calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every impurity with all greediness. But you did not learn Messiah this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Yeshua, then in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deception, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Metamorpheo. It means a metamorphosis, like the caterpillar and the butterfly. The most incredible, miracle, spiritual thing that happens in us, and I don't know how it happens, but this is the way it works. When you choose to do what the word said and apply it in your life, you change from a nasty, ugly, old, bitter caterpillar and you start to poke out your wing outside your cocoon. There's a meta-change morphosis of a life that's happening in you and I, the way we think. That is what it means to be maturing, to be spiritual, to do what the word of God says. How we should apply these principles. And finally, how are you going to experience life? It's a choice. You and I have a choice every day when we wake up on our Casper mattress or on our Sears mattress. And they're all expensive, aren't they? And none of them work. But we have a choice. Are we going to say yes to the Lord? Or not? He said, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. As we trust in the Lord, we experience his security, or you might say his peace. And we have power to persevere through the process of maturity. I'll say that again. As we trust in the Lord, we lean on him, we experience his peace, his security. And we have power to persevere through the process of maturity. Number one, we have peace through the security of the Lord. Number two, we have power, which we, both, we all need it, through the presence of the Lord. And number three, we have perseverance through the promises of the Lord. Keep doing it day by day by day. Don't give up.
People say, the Lord spoke to me. You know the only thing I've ever heard? <laughs> the Lord spoke to me. I hear it a lot, and I'm kind of nasty on that topic. But you know the only thing I've ever heard? Just keep doing it. Just keep going. Don't worry about your feelings or anything going on. Or Just keep doing it. That's the most important thing, perseverance. Let's pray. Alvina McCain, our God and our King. <laughs> you are our all in all. You're perfect in all your ways. You have all power, unlimited to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, and why you want to do it. You're everywhere. You're here in our midst. You're in within us. And you love us. You gave us our salvation in Messiah that we could be here and understand spiritual principles on how to grow up. Thank you for my family and friends, our Shuva group here. I thank you for your word that it goes forth and does its intended purpose, but it doesn't come back void. I pray for those here in our midst here today that are struggling with insecurity, doubt, fear, unbelief. As the fire came from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips, may your fire touch the hearts of those today. Your word, that it would burn off that insecurity. Give them spiritual power to go forth and share of our Messiah to this lost and dying world. Fill us with your spirit. Bless us today. And it's our Messiah's name we pray. Amen.